rev up your engines and accelerate towards economic growth, introducing Backroads of Appalachia, the groundbreaking initiative that fuels economic development through motorsports. Motorsports has long been more than just a thrilling spectacle. It's a dynamic platform that ignites growth in local economies, creates jobs, and transforms communities. When we invest in motorsports, we invest in innovation. The quest for speed pushes boundaries, leading to cutting-edge technologies that find applications in various industries, from automotive to aerospace. But that's not all. Backroads of Appalachia generates tremendous employment opportunities, from skilled mechanics to marketing specialists. We're revving up job creation for people from all walks of life. And let's not forget the fans. Motorsports events draw crowds from all over, injecting a surge of tourism into local businesses, hotels, and restaurants. And shops thrive as visitors gather to witness the exhilaration of the track. Hosting motorsports events puts your city on the map. It elevates your community to the global stage, attracting international audiences and investors eager to be part of the excitement. But Backroads of Appalachia doesn't just cater to established businesses. It nurtures the aspirations of future generations, too. We inspire young minds to pursue careers in STEM fields and motorsports, paving the way for a brighter, more technologically advanced tomorrow. Join the Backroads of Appalachia movement today and experience the engine of economic development roar into your community. everybody welcome to the very first episode of appalachian table tales uh this is going to be a series of uh, interviews interviewing the best of what appalachia has to offer and its people and today we've got mr grant martin and jack martin how y'all doing today good that's good uh we'll just jump right into it and ask you know uh, uh we went over this a little bit before we started recording but you all lived here your whole life up and around Sangat Pine Grove area, you said? Right. All right. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and like you growing up, Grant. We'll start with you first. Okay. Uh, we live in a little community there called Freelinks. It's right on the Rock Castle Jackson County line. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, six miles off uh, 421 there at Big Hill. And um, I've been there um, since I was <clears> born and um, attended school and uh, my wife and I got married when I was 18, uh, 19, and mm-hmm. um, then from there, uh, we loaded everything up and moved uh, about a three-quarters of a mile out the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a trend yeah. in in, uh, in yeah. uh, small rural communities. People right. don't don't stray too far from home. <laughs> she grew up uh, just out the road another three miles or so, yeah. so we kind of met in the middle there, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, got two children, and... Um, as we got started with our um, life, we um, I was a dairy farmer. She worked at a bank. Okay. Kind of um, when the children came along and she stayed home with them. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's uh, kind of uh, the way things is around rural Appalachia. You know, you'll, you'll grow up with your parents. And you'll kind of stay in the same vicinity as them. It was for me. Yeah, right. uh, when I got married and moved off, I moved directly across the road. <laughs> and then uh, uh, we, of course, uh, bought this place, and it's half a mile or less from where I originally w- grew up my whole life, right there on Potter Road. Y'all probably probably uh, got real close to it on your way here. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely a thing with Appalachian people. They don't want to stray too far from home. (laughs) I don't think I ever will either. (laughs) All right, Jack, uh, tell everybody about yourself and introduce yourself a little bit to us. us. I'm uh, Jack Martin and also live at uh, Three Lakes Community and uh, have lived uh, most of my life there except for a year that uh, after me and my wife Darlene got married, we lived a year in Lexington and I worked there at uh, Square D. And uh, then we moved back to 
three lakes after a year there. And uh, then I've been in the same area ever since. So we have uh, uh, two sons, uh, Grant, and uh, other one's name is uh, Jack Andrew. Mm-hmm. And he uh, lives in uh, Columbus. And, uh, oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we, uh, me and Grant, has been in the ministry a big part of our life, and he's uh, in the full-time ministry as well. And okay. We've been in the ministry as along with their farming. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was uh, <coughs> five years old, I uh, told my mother I was going to be a minister. And yeah. Then by the time I graduated from high school, I felt like that was what I going to have to need to do, felt a calling to do. So uh, from there it uh, uh, went on and worked with the young people for, Ten years at church. After I was up in my twenties, I started that, and yeah. then uh, one day the I had uh, failed to call into the ministry myself, and uh, and one day uh, I got to wondering there church. So many people were hurting, and uh, had one young fellow in the church that was dying of cancer and. Uh, I just got to think, what if I had an opportunity to speak to the church? Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a couple of weeks and got me a message together, what I'd like to say to them, and if I had opportunity. But uh, uh, put it in my Bible when I got it finished, and no, absolutely nobody knew about it. But then in, uh, it wasn't over two weeks till the our pastor came to me and. He said, uh, Jack, uh, I've been preaching 30 years and I've never had a vacation. Wow. I'd like to go out west. Would you care to take the church over while I'm away? So you wrote this message, and that was something that you didn't think you'd ever be able to do. Didn't think I'd ever be able to do. So that was going to be your first message. It turned out that was my first message to to the body of the whole church on Sunday morning. Yeah. Didn't think you'd ever have the opportunity. Didn't think uh, I would, but it, if I did, that's some things I would like to say to the church. You know? Yeah. But uh, then it went on on from there. The, <clears throat> and uh, we also, uh, and, uh, and Darlene came back from uh, Lexington, and I had been free too long. Mm-hmm. live in town, work in the factory. I, yeah. I just couldn't deal with it. So we came home and didn't have a job or I had a few cattle already at home, but mm-hmm. uh, had a little small uh, six-acre place and uh, we didn't have basically no income. And uh, we got a, bought one cow and we get what milk we needed and sell milk. Uh, now what brown about what year was this was you, it was in 69 69 uh-huh. when you was doing that and uh but we'd uh, get what milk we needed and sell the rest and that bought our groceries what about that all from that one cow from that one cow yeah and uh i got to think well if we're gonna be here uh have to be here twice a day to milk her anyway might as well get a few more so we well, yeah. started building from there and got a started and then as Grant got older we were partners 50-50 in it for, mm-hmm. uh, till we quit in 2021 and uh, how many years we milked together Grant? Uh, uh, between us um, both of us working together 32 years 32 years on the dairy and, uh, and I milked 52 years myself and, uh, but he was with me 50, 32 years now I, I can't imagine you could probably not know this number, but <laughs> how many cows do you think you milked in 52 years? Wouldn't have much idea. Thousands and thousands and thousands. Probably thousands. Anyway, their lifespan wasn't uh, with, with a dairy cow. It's not like it is with beef cattle. Yeah, yeah. There's more things can happen to them after they yeah. cold. So you, uh, you would have to get 
new cattle pretty often, we right? Were, we raised them, yeah. Okay, so you raised them. So you literally probably did th- milk thousands of different cows. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's something else. And, you know, I, I've never done that day in my life, uh, unfortunately. I'll say unfortunately because that's a good lesson for any anybody to, to learn uh, just what – how hard that I would imagine that would be yeah. on somebody to milk cows all day, every day. Yeah. And I was my wife, uh, eventually after the boys got out of school, she, uh, went back to college and got a degree and went to, went to teaching then. And, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, uh, Greg, you got? That was something <laughs> that, um, I always admired is, as he said, when they first got married, she was going to UK. Yeah. And he worked at Square D, and they lived in married housing. Now, and what is Square D? What is that? You see the like fuse boxes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Square D. What about that? Mm-hmm. I had never heard that before. It's very common when you look at the, especially a lot of the older fuse boxes and breaker boxes in homes and businesses. Okay. That's the, the brand name. What about that? And, uh, but it didn't work for them at all. And they came home in 69, which I was born in December of 69. Uh-huh. And mom stayed home until my brother and I were in, uh, I was in high school. And she started taking night classes, mm-hmm. substitute teaching, and um, kind of getting back into what she had started before we came along. Yeah. And she ended up completing her master's degree. Okay. And, um, but uh, I, I admired her determination first to stay with uh, raising her family and then how that then she wanted to get back to uh, what she wanted to do and working with children. And, uh, now you mentioned uh, married housing. Is that what what you call it? What, what? Married housing. Okay, what is that exactly? It's where... Uh, Couples that are married live on campus. Oh, on the campus. Okay. Okay. I thought it might have been something like that, but I didn't want to assume. We lived right behind uh, Central Baptist Hospital. Oh, really? Apartment back there. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. And something, too, that's kind of interesting about that. He said people here say we live so far from everything, it takes so long to get anywhere. Yeah. He said I could be within sight of my apartment for 30 minutes <laughs> really and he couldn't get there because of traffic <laughs> yeah when to get off work today yeah yeah boy that'd be aggravating wouldn't it <laughs> just be right there's my house but i can't get there quick enough <laughs> yeah that's something else <laughs> now you say you all retired from the dairy farming mm-hmm. and it's just ministering now we transitioned over to beef cattle Oh, oh, okay. So you're still in the farm in Big Town. Uh, we're in ministry both. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Now, is that still on the same dairy farm that you do that on? Yes. Okay. Now, that's got to be hard labor, too. Uh, it's a little more manageable than with the dairy because there was schedules. The, the milk truck would come every other day, and you yeah. had to work the milkings around his schedule because they had them on a certain set schedule to unload at yeah. the dairy plant uh-huh. where they process the, the milk and there's times we would have to alter our milking schedule to accommodate that and um, then you have just a, a lot of different things to keep up that um, to keep all that going smooth Yeah. and with the beef cattle we're able to um, kind of set our own pace a little better mm-hmm. and it works well and that's something that um, worked well with both of us back through the years with working in the community and being in the ministry because so many times people knew where we were yep. in milking time we were yep. there in that barn and uh, a lot of ministry work takes place in the church mm-hmm. you know I'm going to be at the church it's certain day every week between certain hours and people come by and okay with us it was at the dairy barn yeah and uh, people would know we were there. And, and two, somebody will come by and talk about the cows and calves. And, you know, I've had this bother me. Yeah. And then it gets off to what's really on their mind. Yeah. But that kind of breaks the ice of just focus on something different. Yeah. And, and, and now continued um, 
with that is we're there. Mm-hmm. And that way that makes it, and there's um, so many times there's things that come up, tragedies that happen and sickness and different things and people need encouragement now. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're, what we're doing now, it's easier to be able to alter our schedule and accommodate the ministry needs yeah. to make that work. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. really good. Now, I would imagine that uh, uh, the ministry is the most important thing. You know, it should be to everybody, in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, being able to combine the two, that's that's really uh, handy <laughs> and ingenious, you know, a way of, of ministering to people. Any way you can minister to somebody, because, you know, uh, a lot of people may not be uh, comfortable going to a church or for whatever reason mm-hmm. or something like that. So, I mean... I don't I don't see many people not being able to be as comfortable as possible on a dairy farm or a beef cow farm yeah. or anything, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, I believe the uh, the Bible says, you know, where my people gather, I'll be there, or, uh, and not so. And I'm sure I'm not getting that completely right, but uh, yeah, that's awesome that y'all can minister to people in any way you can. But that is just about being their greatest. Uh ministries is in the milk parlor you know yes yeah. i mean though we have uh other means as well mm-hmm. there's been probably more time spent in the milk parlor and nights maybe till two o'clock in the morning what about there. that and uh with uh it's been a big it was a big part of her her ministry yeah now you all say you've lived up there your whole life pretty much can you tell us a little bit about how that part of the county was back way back when you was growing up and like what things was there versus that are not here now? You know, I know that I'm interested in stuff like that and a lot of people are too. I've heard that there used to be uh what was it, uh a bus route or something other yeah. years ago. What was that called? Do you remember? I was thinking about the school bus route is all I knew. Seems like they were something it may have been a school bus route. I'm, I may be thinking completely wrong, but I know that times was way different back then. I mean, you was born in what year? In 1944. In 1944. I might, I might start by uh, telling about how things were uh, long about the time I was born. Yeah, what yeah. I'm going to tell you now, I don't remember, but my children, I mean, my sisters told me about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I live... Uh, the time I was born, from October to March, you couldn't get a car through the road there. It was just a mud road. Really? And uh, Dad uh, had a, he got a car in 1948. And in October, he would take it over and put it in a tobacco barn way over in the field in front of the house. Yeah. Cover it up and leave it till about March, and he'd go get it. Leave it up during the wintertime. Anyway, he... Uh, uh, we raised tobacco, and yeah. he had to sell his tobacco, took it to Richmond to sell it. And he would take his uh, tobacco down the holler, across Horselick Creek and up on Pine Grove Ridge and uh, to William Hurley's, and he'd take it to Richmond mm-hmm. for it and uh, sell his tobacco. Yeah. And uh, it, every year in farming is not always a, a good year. Yeah. We have... There's always been ups and downs all the way through. But on one particular year, he came in and uh, my sister said, and uh, my mother had two coal oil lamps burning. And uh, he never said anything to anybody. He blew one of them out. And he said, we can't afford to run. What about Burn that? two at once. Yeah. He says, tobacco didn't do too good. Well, what about that? And... Uh, at that time, kerosene was a nickel a gallon, so you can imagine how much he would be saving yeah. by blowing out one kerosene lamp. Yeah, a nickel a gallon. I think about that a lot and how much today is uh, wasted, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, and how, uh, but you know what? Uh, we had good times. Mm-hmm. We, everybody was happy. I mean, we enjoyed what we were doing. We had what we needed. Yeah. And 
we had plenty of time to do things we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And today everybody's in a hurry and can't get there fast enough and hard to enjoy life. Yeah. But, uh, things were a lot different back then. You know, I've, I, I, I talked to a lot of people, uh, and, uh, they always talk about how hard they worked, the, the backbreaking work that they done when they was younger, you know, in your generation and stuff. And, uh, man, they just talk like it, it was just the hardest work they ever done. And I guarantee it was, but they always talk about how happy they was. Yeah. And, and people visit one another. I mean, just mm-hmm. wouldn't be many nights past. Somebody wouldn't come and stay there or two. Yeah, they just sit on the porch and talk. Talk, and, uh, and it's just, uh, it was an altogether different life to what we... Yeah, completely had. different, I would imagine. And uh, still, uh, we, just so many, like I said, uh, we had all we needed. We had yeah. plenty to eat place to sleep and a warm place to live and we had everything we needed and uh, but it was just it was just different mm-hmm. and uh, in, in so many so many ways yeah and, uh, and you were satisfied yeah, yeah, yeah. completely happy mm-hmm. now it seems like everybody needs so much more to be happy mm-hmm. and that's really unfortunate I feel like right yeah I mean uh, I and I'm 43 years old. I was born in 1980, and just from my short 43 years on Earth, things have has changed so much, yeah. and uh, uh, for the for the worse in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, uh, do you kind of feel that way too? Like from the time you was born until now, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think, in your opinion, would be? like one of the worst things that that's that's happened or come about or since since you was born that's just really people don't need don't need like uh do you think the technology is one of the worst things that's ever been that's evolved or cell phones or something like that i'm sure you could go on and on because it's all a distraction you know, in a lot of people's opinions, like cell phones, people's addicted to their cell phones or computers or TV or something like that. Do you do you feel like that's the worst thing that's happened to man? I don't feel like it's <clears throat> the worst thing that's happened to man. I feel uh, getting away from God is what's mm-hmm. happened. I mean, it's just yeah. priorities are changing. I mean, values are changing. Yeah. And, and that's what makes these other things a problem because we allow them to take the place of things that should be a priority yeah. in their life. Yeah. And uh, just completely values are changing the principles and uh, and uh, getting away from God. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I agree and, completely. And as, as that happens, things will continue to get worse. Yeah. And, uh, until something, something turns around. Yeah. That's unfortunate that that's the way it is, but it seems like that's that's the the way the world is going anymore, is that it's just going downhill. Yeah. You know, but now, uh, like you said, people's priorities gotten out of whack, I feel like, right. from all these distractions and stuff like that, you know. But that's what this podcast is about, to try and help people get back on track, you know, and tell them about all the good things in life and and the way things used to be versus now and stuff and tell people stories you know and have this for people to listen to forever Mm -hmm. you know because uh i i myself have no idea other than the stories i've heard from my mom and my dad and my papas and stuff like that that's told me about life when they was growing up and stuff stories like your all's is is priceless absolutely priceless to hit, to have something like this on record recording so people can hear about it and realize just the importance of sticking true to your roots and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah that's that's awesome now do y'all minister at the church at, at, at the church yeah. is it on your property or no it's okay a, it's at the road a mile and a half from where i live 
Oh, okay. So the church is in your backyard too. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's good. What's the name of it? Three Links. Three Links Christian Church. Three Links Christian Church. Mm-hmm. All right. and, and I might add on the technology there. The way that we look at that is technology is just like a car. Is when you get behind the wheel, it's your choice where you go with it. There's and good yeah, places good you point. can go, and there's bad places you can go. Yeah. But the choice is yours. And it's the same way with technology. And we have tried as much as possible to make use of technology in our ministry. Mm-hmm. Is I think that if there was anything that good that came out of um, the pandemic that we went through, is it got churches to look into different ways to reach out when people couldn't be there. Yeah. And as we started doing our uh, services live, where it can be viewed um, from now on, as we keep them on our church page. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that way, and, and we have a lot of people that faithfully listen, that mm-hmm. maybe grew up in the community, but um, that live elsewhere now. Yeah. And that was a way for them to get back connected. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, it just touches our heart to be out somewhere. And, you know, I listened to your church program the other day. That's a good message. Yeah. That just, uh, that just does something to us to be able to hear that. And, like, you know, in people having difficulties, we can text message. Sometimes somebody will say a little statement that mm-hmm. they never would have called you about. But they'll send you a text message. You know, I got this going on. Can you remember me in prayer? Yeah. And you can start the conversation. Yeah, I've done that myself. And um, and just is it, technology is a valuable thing if used appropriately. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's a good analogy. That's a good way to put it. It's like driving a car. You choose where you go with it. Right. That's, that's right. Absolutely right. It's not the thing itself. It's what we do with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I want to get back on the dairy farm because that fascinates me that you all done that for so long what like from birth to the end of the line for that milk cow i mean like from the time it's born like how soon can you start even milking a cow two years normally so you got to keep it for two years we aim it two years so that's two years without producing any kind of income from that milk cow yeah feeding it feeding and everything for two full years before you make an income off of it So how do you, do you just supplement from other milk cows to feed that cow? And you know what I'm saying? Like you're not making the, you're not getting any milk from it for two years, but you still got to feed it. So you just supplement that from your regular income to feed that cow and yeah. stuff for two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, is it the same with, uh, with your uh, beef cattle now? What that really helps about uh, the beef cattle is they cut out the middleman. When we were doing the dairy, yeah. when a calf is born, um, we would put them in a pen next to where the milk cows were, where mm-hmm. they could come and they could check on their babies and knew where they were. Yeah. But we were responsible for feeding them. And okay. a lot of times we would feed them cow's milk, and but the mamas could come and if they wanted to lay down there beside them and you know other side of the gate and know they were safe and okay, they could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were responsible for ever feeding for that two years. Uh, now they're not in the barn that two years. They would just um, be in the stable like for uh, three months or so. And yeah. they would be get big enough to turn outside and be on grass and grain and uh, not have to have milk anymore. Okay. Okay. With the beef cattle, they cut out the middleman. The mamas raised their babies. Oh, and, yeah. And that way, um, you have to feed and make sure the mamas took good care of and she'll take care of the baby. Wow. That's something else. Now, do y'all have the big contraptions that attach to the udders and all that and stuff? We, we did have. We had the uh, milkers and everything. The cows would come in two on each side and they had feed boxes they would eat out of while they were there yeah. and um, go through for a grade eight dairy, which is what goes for fluid milk. Yeah. Um, you have to have inspections and everything up to state yeah health standards mm-hmm. um, and then it is kept at um, 38 degrees um, until the milk truck picks it up every other day mm-hmm. and then they take it and process it from there 
Yeah, I was fixing to say there has to be a lot of rules and regulations that goes along with both both those uh, business ventures right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had to, the inspections we had was had to keep everything up to par. Yeah, I would imagine so. That's really that's really interesting to me. I've always uh, watch videos and stuff on YouTube about dairy farms and cattle farms and stuff like that, but I've never talked to anybody that actually done it. That's interesting to me. You ever been kicked by the cow? <laughs> I had, had several trips to the hospital. Like really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. He didn't get hurt like I did. <laughs> Man, I've been kicked by a horse. Uh, I, uh, seems like a cow would hurt a lot worse. I would think that a cacao would hurt worse. And, and what happens? It wasn't. Go ahead. And what happens, you're there, they're behind bars. Yeah. And then there's a cutout where you um, put the milkers on in the bars where you've got room to work and everything. Yeah. And on either side of where they're standing, there's bars. So if they kick and happen to get your hand between their foot and oh the my bars, gosh. bad things are going to happen. You're going to lose a finger. Uh, very easily. Wow. And I mean, something that was on my mind, especially there toward the end, is I was thinking we've almost um, completed what we're going to do here on this, milking the cows. And I always, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, you're just one bad move away from visiting a surgeon in Louisville (laughs) of how to put your hand back together. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. (laughs) And he almost uh, got to that place. Oh, really? Tell us about that. Uh, I guess I'll tell you about one time that uh, a cow kicked me and it caught my finger on the piece of metal that was on the back of the feed box. Yeah. The next cow was eating out of it. And, and it just literally destroyed that end of that finger. I mean, it was just mush. Yeah. The nail was split and gone and it was just, I mean, it was just mush. And I went to emergency room at Brea hospital and about six o'clock that evening and they were crowded and I didn't get to see anybody until four the next morning. Oh Lord. And when they did, they said, we're going to have to send you to the UK. We can't deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> and they to have uh, surgery and, uh, and finally got me fixed up, but he, he knew what he was doing, and he uh, put my nail back on there. He sewed it back on. Yeah. And uh, I noticed he put it over there on a piece of clean paper and uh, uh, got down. He stitched it back on there, and it stayed there until the other nail uh, pushed it out. It just cut it off. Oh, yeah. It didn't get the roots. It just wow. cut it off, and the other... So then grew out, it pushed it off. And then, oh, my, that's uh, bad. <laughs> he, uh, he worked with me, uh, fixed me up good. Yeah. That's the only time I had to go relax in them. A few times I had uh, other cuts and things from their kicking. And oh, I'd imagine so. That I had to go to. Yeah. Milking cows that long, I'd say you had a lot of injuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There, there were some cows that you knew to kind of, cows are like people. They've all got a different personality. Some mm-hmm. of them just easy going. They don't care. As long as I've got feed to eat, yeah. I'm fine. And then there's others that just get away. Don't oh, I'd say. Me. And then just unexpectedly, you'll go to um, get one ready to be milked. You have to wash them, get them clean and dry it off and everything. And you'll go toward one and wham, you'll just kick. And where you you want to believe that they're just getting used to this and they're happy yeah. and not going to be any harm and uh, where you had to constantly have your guard up and yeah <laughs> yeah I see uh, this is probably I, I mean it's probably it's wrong to think this but I've always thought of a cow as just a pretty calm animal you know they just walk around and they eat. And they poop, and that's about it. <laughs> but yeah, when you get more in depth with them as you you guys have, I'd say you run into some pretty mean ones. They have uh, you wouldn't believe this, but they have personalities just like people. Yeah, yeah. Different cows have different personalities. Yeah. And uh, some are really calm no matter what happens, and some get upset 
uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of easy, and then there's some just, I mean, they're very healthy, yeah. and, uh, but they have different personalities. Well, I guess you just learn their personalities yeah. and know what to look for. You have to, yeah. Yeah. And with doing that for the period of time that we did, is see, we were uh, raising our own heifers for replacements. Mm-hmm. As older cows had to be culled, then we had heifers coming in to take their place. So we had raised generations of oh, the same okay. bloodline. Oh. We very rarely bought any heifers. We raised our own. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So every cow that we had, we had raised from a baby. And probably their grandmother, too. Yeah. And, um, now, is that kind of the standard with dairy farms? Does everybody do it pretty much that way? Because I was thinking that you probably just went and bought them there are a as a dairies, baby. There's a lot of dairies that do that, is they sell their calves, and yeah. then they will buy heifers. They say they can go buy them cheaper yeah. than they can raise them. And it's, there's different business plans for different operations. A lot of times the larger operations operate yeah. that way. Um, and then sometimes they will contract out is they will when their heifers are born they'll have a heifer raiser that mm. will come and get the calves and they'll bring them back when they're ready to have a calf oh so they keep them for the two years yes. and then bring them back to uh-huh. you uh-huh. now is there a way of is there like a is there a such thing as a good milk cow and a bad milk cow and how do you tell the difference in them i mean can you look at one and say she's gonna be a good one or he or she's gonna be a bad one is there any way to know that there are some characteristics that kind of stand out, just their <laughs> mannerisms and just kind of when you're walking around them and, you know, the one that perks your ears up and just watching every move and kind of jumpy, yeah. you figure she's going to be that way when you're trying to milk her too. Okay. Um, and the ones that are just calm and easygoing, yeah. you can kind of kind of pick up on that. That's interesting. And there is also uh, qualities about them that you can notice that, to tell a whole lot about it. what kind of producer she'll be. Really oh, really? Producer, yeah. yeah, that's what was, that was my next question, if they produce like a lot of milk or... Other attachments and different uh, things to look for. Yeah. Uh, about you know, I'd say that would that's probably really smart to raise your own heifers because it's the same bloodline, so you're getting what you know is good cows, good, good quality milk. That's pretty smart. Yeah, to just raise them yourself. That's a lot of work. I mean, you got a dairy farm and a heifer farm. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, a reproduction yeah. plant, a production plant of heifers. Yeah. Do you do that with same with the the beef, the the cattle farm? In transitioning over, um, in trying to grow our numbers, we actually um, started buying several baby calves mm-hmm. from uh, other dairies. Uh, a common thing anymore with dairies is to crossbreed the Holsteins to like a Black Angus or a Hereford mm-hmm. and get some good cross calves. Yeah. We bought a lot of those um, and they make some good heifers and the disposition is good. And also our fences are not really good. And if we just went and bought a bunch of 800 pound heifers and brought them, and it would take a while to get them used to the place enough that when we turn them out, they wouldn't. Well, yeah, that makes pastures. sense. Yeah. But if they grew up on the farm yeah. and they're used to us, then they're less apt to want to roam. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Not that they can't get out alone, mm-hmm. but if they do, they know where home is and they'll come back. Yeah. But if you buy 20 heifers and bring them in and turn them out on your place, if they get out, they may just keep going. Yeah. Because they don't have, they don't know where home is right now. They're yeah. lost. So they just keep going, and uh, we actually had one that came to our place several years ago. Oh, and it yeah. was there for like six months. Oh, wow. And finally, a fellow had an ad in the paper wondering if anybody had saw a Charlie Heifer that was so so certain size, and, um, and she had came from about 15 miles away. And, wow. And was walking down the road and apparently thought our cows was a good place to hop in and stay with, and she was happy there. A big heifer made yeah. it 15 miles. Yeah. Dang, gum. <laughs> Jumped in the field with our cattle. What about that? Found her house, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I imagine these these beef cattle, you know, you raise them to make burger and stuff out of, right? Do you have any control? Oh, I mean, do you just, do you process them or do you sell them to a processor? Occasionally, um, if somebody is interested in the beef, we will have an appointment 
at a processor and we'll take it to the processor and the customer will put in their order of how okay. they want their cuts and then they'll pick up the packaged processed beef. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, we just sell on the open market. Okay. Uh, that, um, there's several of those around Richmond, Lexington, Stanford, yeah. and um, where the, it's just regular beef market. Yeah. And like when we sell them, uh, they'll go on to a feedlot somewhere and fatten them out. Oh, yeah. And get them to the a desired size. Uh, okay. And then they process them there and then I guess distribute it all over the world yeah. probably. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty pretty neat that's amazing actually really because you, this is just right down the road here and you, this beef is ending up all over the world mm -hmm. and i'd say it's a safe bet to say that's probably some of the best beef in the world right here in jackson county <laughs> that's good stuff i'm glad to hear that so you can sell to like me if you wanted to oh uh, yeah yeah and the way that that works I cannot, unless I get it USDA inspected, uh -huh. I cannot sell cuts of meat. Okay. Now, there are some of the processing facilities that have certain days of the week that you have to have the beef there by like 7 o'clock that morning, uh -huh. and the USDA inspectors inspect it and get it stamped, and then you can resell it. as, And that's why that I worded it as I did when... If, if I sell a beef to a customer, mm -hmm. I sell you the animal on the hoof. Okay. Then I drop it off at the processing facility. Okay. Then it's yours, and they process it for you. Oh, okay. So it's for your own personal use, so it doesn't have to be USDA, USDA inspected. I got you. I understand. And that way it's safe for both, as you know how it was taken care of mm -hmm. by their standards, and then I'm um, safe on what I sold you. Okay, and I understand you, you didn't that. have to worry about buying a cattle trailer to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Jack, you're, you're a married man, ain't you? Yeah. How long have you been married? 52 years. 52 50, years? 53 years. 53 years. Get it right now. You'll get in trouble when you get home. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, uh, how did you meet your wife? Uh, we went to school together, and uh, the uh, main thing, I stayed, me and her brother was good friends, uh -huh. and I'd go out there on Sunday evening and play with him, play ball with him, and uh, we both liked to play baseball and basketball, yeah. both, and uh, I spent a lot of time with him, and actually stayed all night with him. Uh, time or two mm -hmm. and uh, and they, I was out there one night and uh, one Sunday evening it started to go home it was about dark and Arlene was over corner of the living room uh, doing her homework and uh, I went up at the door I, she looked over at me and I looked in her eyes and I thought right there I was so going to murder you, you knew it right then right then how old was you I was probably 14, 14. or something. And, uh, uh, but anyway, time went on, and she was younger than me. She was about four years younger than me. Yeah. And uh, actually, about five years younger. And uh, but anyway, uh, I was in the National Guard. We had. Uh, gone together a little bit but it broke up and uh, had a guard meeting one weekend and it come a blizzard I mean it was 18 below zero uh, heavy heavy snow and really windy yeah. and drifted and, and I had a guard meeting the next morning and I called him and told myself I'm afraid I can't come tomorrow I got a roads are bad and uh, he said we will see you in the morning oh yeah so I took <laughs> off at 18 below and, and there was drifts out the road that were some of a lot of them be high as the car hood for maybe 200 feet and, wow and uh, especially out near near her house where she lived and, mm -hmm. but uh, 
he'd blow on the windshield and I couldn't stop. He'd blow on the windshield, I couldn't see, I had to keep going or I would have been stuck. And, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I had 300 pounds of concrete in the trunk of the car to kind of help hold it down. Yeah. Anyway, that morning, uh, somehow that day I found out she was stranded at Livingston, snowbound. Oh, yeah. And uh, I called her mom and asked her if Ricky and Ned want me to get her, bring her home that evening. And, and she said, yeah. And uh, went and got her, told me where she was. And, uh, come on through that snow and it blow on that windshield like that and and uh, somehow I don't know that made a difference in everything somehow yeah <laughs> she made but, a quote I thought if he can get me home in that he can get us through anything <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of how we that's got awesome back together and, uh, anyway we got to her back to her house <laughs> my car was getting hot I had, oh, a, yeah. I had a new car it was in 65 and it was a 65 Ford it was a, a new car basically but uh, and me and her dad couldn't get the hood up and uh, we just uh, no way could we get it up so I'd have to go a little piece and stop and let it cool off and then go a little further and stop and get it on home yeah and, uh, from her house and uh, when it did throw out and I was able to get the hood up the snow was packed around that motor wow all the way up to the hood wow completely solid in there except about each each quarter around the motor it was thawed out boy it was meant for you to go get her though wasn't it but it, uh, <laughs> it was packed all in there over that motor and uh, but that is how we Kind of got back together. Yeah. <laughs> what would y'all do on like when you went out on dates and stuff? What kind of things would y'all do? Just different. <clears throat> go to movies and go to maybe a certain uh, park or something we wanted to go to. Just, mm -hmm. just different. All all together, continually different things that yeah. way. Sometimes you decide to go to London and get a. A and W root beer and <laughs> yeah, uh, just different things. Just sometimes maybe just drive. Yeah, just drive around. Yeah. Me and my wife like to do that every now and then. Just get in the car and just drive around. Yeah, that's really fun. I recommend that to everybody. Just look around, go down roads because there is roads in this canyon that I've never been on. I done it just the other day. I've lived here my whole life, and we went down some road, and I was like, I think this is the first time I've ever been on this road in my life. So we like to just get out and just go on roads that we ain't never been on, you know, because they're out there. It's fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to see yeah. things you ain't never seen before right in your backyard. Something, too, at that time in Livingston, it was before I-75 came through, and that was on 25. That was north and south route. And um, Livingston had a skating ring, movie theater, what all else? Had a... A grocery store, a truck stop for the big uh, tractor and trailer trucks, and a uh, doctor's office, casket factory, casket factory, drug store, uh, restaurant, a couple of grocery stores, and there's other things. Mm -hmm. Theater, you mentioned theater. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a whole lot, the, didn't they? <laughs> but the, when the interstate uh, changed, all of that played out. Oh, yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, that's something else, too, that I've never really thought about until you just said that. You know, interstates and stuff, they make everything so more accessible that it kind of drowns out the small communities. Right. You know, mm -hmm. interstate's a great thing, but. Uh, that community right there you just said it kind of just all of it just kind of disappeared with the right. after the interstate showed up i never really thought about that before mm -hmm. but i'd say that's exactly what done it in for rural communities like that yeah. that's something else something too that um i might mention back <clears> to <throat> when dad started school uh, talking about the things he had saw through his life yeah up until the time he taught he started school 
his siblings that went to a one-room schoolhouse down at Horselick Creek. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's two miles from his home place. And... Uh, walk, walk down there. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And the first year that he was supposed to have went, that was where it was supposed to be. Yeah. But it didn't work out. And by the next year, there was a bus route from Livingston. Oh, wow. So at that time, it was grades first through 12. Yeah. At the same school. Oh, okay. So he was that close to uh, being uh, taught in a one-room schoolhouse. What about that? One-room schoolhouse. I think uh, my mom tells me old stories about walking to school out of Walker's Branch down there toward S Street and stuff in San Gap. Boy, I can't imagine having to do that. Walker's Branch. It's a long, long walk yeah. to Walker's Branch from 421. Yeah. Even I, well, I'm sure she didn't even walk all the way to 421, probably to just the top of the hill there. But dang on, that's a long walk mm -hmm. in the snow. She talks about. Mm. <laughs> I can't imagine. But you know, people was uh, a lot tougher back then, way yeah. tougher than people are now. Yeah. I know my papa, when he was alive, he would. Uh, his favorite thing to do was put on his overalls and sit on the front porch in his rocking chair. And he would sit by the banister of his front porch and he'd holler at me and he'd say, little Dan, go get me a, a bowl of buttermilk and cornbread or a bowl of ice cream or something other. And I'd run over the house and get, or go in his house either one and fix it for him. And I'd come out and he'd be picking waspers up off that banister and pulling the wings off of them. <laughs> Like it was nothing. <laughs> and I'd ask him, I was like, Papa, how do you do that? He said, you got to hold your breath. <laughs> it did not yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that used to be a big problem housing tobacco. As you get up next to the roof, and there'd be those really large wasper nests and mm -hmm. bunches of them on it. And his older brother, 14 years older than him, um, his way of dealing with that, he would get his hat and he would put right up around it. And, and crush them. Crush them and throw them down and keep it going. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't do it. No. <laughs> I got stung just the other day out here on my trailer, and I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just yeah. by one. Yeah. <laughs> people's just like I said, though, people's a lot tougher back then. They don't make them like, like, like you no more. They really don't. And stuff that he used to do, too, occasionally there would also be hornet's nests that would be up in the tobacco barns. You had your crop. Your tobacco crop cut, you need to get it in the barn. And then yeah. Hornet's Nest was what was standing between getting that done. So he came up with a plan that he climbed up in the barn after he got the milking done at night with a garbage bag. And oh, he would Lord. slip that up over that Hornet's Nest and pinch it off in that bag and then tie it off. And then build a fire after he collected eight or ten of them out of the different oh, barns and burn them in the fire. <laughs> I remember yeah. one night he brought one in and laid it down in the kitchen. Oh my gosh. Here's this garbage bag. Just a humming. All this buzzing <laughs> going on. And as you might expect, mom didn't appreciate that. I'd say she didn't. Didn't stay on. <laughs> <laughs> Get that out of my house. <laughs> yeah, that backer would have had to stay up there if it had been me. <laughs> I wouldn't have fooled with it. <laughs> but just how resourceful is just so many things like mm -hmm. that that, um, you know, just got to get it done well people wasn't afraid of nothing it don't yeah. seem like y'all was afraid of anything i mean people i believe your generation is probably the last generation of like what a real man is you know what i'm saying like my papa you people in that generation and stuff and my papa's been dead a long time he's he i can't remember what year he died but just that generation they're just so much tougher seems like and just but it's because they've got such a good hard work ethic, I believe. Like they've worked their whole life, uh, some really hard manual labor job, and they just see things a lot different than anybody. That's why I feel like it's so important to get stories like yours recorded for 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 Appalachian history because you are Appalachian. You really are. People like you paved the way for everybody else in Appalachia. You really did, and. Everybody owes you a debt of gratitude for that. They really do. That's much appreciated. Uh, Appalachia is full of stories from people, and uh, that's what this whole series is all about. And uh, I think it's just the best stories in the world. You can't 
can't hear stuff like this enough. We hope to get many more people on here like this and uh, talk about this because it's, just like I say, the most interesting thing in the world to me. Uh, you got anything else? I, was, did, I had another question. I forgot what it was. I should have wrote these down. Uh, was you a pretty good kid when you was growing up? or You wouldn't? <laughs> he started shaking his head immediately. <laughs> Pestered everybody to death, I reckon. Oh, yeah? <laughs> but, uh, Get in trouble a lot. I remember my sister, Mabel, she was, uh, she loved to sing. It was a good singer. Yeah. At the time, she was just a little, small girl. And, mm-hmm. and I remember one day, uh, she was sitting on the porch step with a little kitten wrapped up in a blanket. Just to sing in a way, just yeah. sing the little cat, and uh, and I slipped up behind her and scared her, <laughs> and she cried. Oh, and see, that's what I was talking about. I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. always a pestering somebody. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Get a whole lot of weapons. <laughs> I only got one that I remember of. That you remember. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably just the only time they caught you, wasn't it? <laughs> right. That's something else. That's something else. Well, listen, I've I've had a great time. Uh, I could go on for hours and hours, but I'm, I'm sure y'all got things to do today. Uh, is there anything else? Any bit, any bit of advice? I do want to ask you this: any bit of advice you want to give people out here that's living in this world the way it is now and any bit of advice that you want to give people for living better? The best thing I could tell them is to stay just as close to the Lord and His Word as they possibly can. Absolutely. And it'll be all right. Now, uh, y'all being ministers and stuff like that and men of faith and God, I want to ask you this for my own personal self. Where is the best place, in your opinion, to start, because uh, I've been told, you know, starting this book of the Bible, starting this book of the Bible, what's the best place in your all's opinion to start reading the Bible? If uh, if you are new, starting out, I would encourage you to start in the New Testament in Matthew is where I would encourage you to start. In Matthew? In, in the Matthew Chapter 1 is where I would encourage you to start, and that way you can find pretty soon about the birth of Jesus and about his life on earth and his teachings, and then how pretty soon it'll tell you about him going to the cross and giving mm-hmm. his life and shedding his blood for the sins of the world. And, yeah. And that would be starting in Matthew. The New Testament would be uh, get you the quickest help you needed for whatever need you had. That sounds good. I appreciate it. Uh, I have read some of the Bible. I don't want you to think I've never read the Bible or anything, but I haven't read it all the way through, and I've been told by several people to start here, start there, so I just wanted to ask you, in your opinion, where somebody should start, because I'm sure there's other people out here that's going to hear this that'll be wondering the same thing, so I just wanted to ask that. Uh Y'all got anything else you want to talk about? We can keep going. My, my favorite um, <clears throat> chapter that I like to have in messages fairly often and is Hebrews chapter 11. Is It talks about the heroes of faith. And I think about that, um, to start with, it refers back to so many of those heroes of the Old Testament and what they went through and how God saw them through it. And as we talk about things like we have been here today, the generations that we have known, mm-hmm. how we think back to those um, that overcame obstacles. Um, his his mom um, was a prayer warrior yeah. and um, raised a big family. And she um, watched for every opportunity that she could to overcome the circumstances they were facing. Mm-hmm. Um, as they were younger, she raised tobacco crops by herself. His dad was a carpenter, and there was times because of that he had to go away for his work. Oh, yeah. So there, his his mom was there, having to take care of the family and everything, and mm-hmm. try to generate a little extra income. 
Um, she did that along with canning and all that to prepare for winter. Okay. As the children got older, she got a job carrying the mail. She would ride a horse to Livingston. I don't know how often that it was. What about that? But she would ride a horse to Livingston and get the mail for that community, and she ran the post office there for a time. And uh, how that they continued to look for new opportunities. A lot of times we want to look at things as, you know, things are not like they used to be, and we want to leave it there mm -hmm. instead of looking, okay, where are we now? Just like using the technology. There's yeah. things we have access to now that we didn't have in the past yeah. that we can make use of. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 50s, when he was a teenager, his family had a little store there in the community. And it was kind of the local um, Walmart super center, oh, yeah. you know, is they sold basic needs. Uh, they partnered with uh, Earl Knielsen in Richmond and sold farm equipment when farm equipment was first coming about. Wow. As in tractors and such. And a lot of the local farmers purchased their first tractor, mowing machine, and a hauler and a plow from my grandpa's store. He partnered with um, Heimer Ford that was in Berea, and he sold a few cars from that um, little store. And Dad uh, ran the store as a, a there was a they would leave him there watching the the store when he was a teenager for a while. He went to Georgia a time or two once anyway and different trips and leave me with the store. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, really and truly, I mean, you may not, you probably don't realize this. I don't think of you as the type of man to brag on yourself at all, but you've had a lot to do with the success of a lot of people. Really and truly, you have. You know, being a part of that, I, I mean, I, did, that's, that's, I didn't know that. Uh, selling people's their first piece of farm equipment or a truck or something like that, that's really something else. You ought to be very proud of yourself. Uh, is there uh, uh, any scripture that you would like to like to give out somebody that's like struggling in with anything? I know a lot of people uh, that I know are are struggling with addiction and trying to recover from it and stuff like that. Is there anything that you'd like to tell them or a scripture that pops out in your mind that would help them get through that? There's two that I have lived that has got me through a many, many a difficult time. Yeah. That I'd like to share one is uh, <clears throat> is uh, where Paul said in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And then in uh, Romans 8.28, where uh, Paul said the uh, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to them who are they called according to his purpose. And uh, those two, uh, sometimes they go when it gets rough and you think uh, you don't see no hope, but it tells us that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And uh, Just like uh, Joseph's life, I had a message about him last Sunday. Yeah. Uh, he... Uh, his brothers sold him into slavery. Wow. Uh, it, uh, a fellow in Egypt, and he, there he put him in charge of everything he had. He seen God was with him. But then uh, his that man's wife told a lie on Joseph, and he uh, got put in jail. But he got put in jail, and he was in charge of all the other prisoners. God was with him, and the person in charge of the prison knew it, and he put... Joseph in charge and went on from there to where he came uh, over all Egypt to make a long story short but if he had got discouraged at those difficult things that happened in his life he would have given up or he wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it mm -hmm. but the same principle holds through today just as all things work together for good every bad thing that happened to him brought him a little closer to where he needed to be with God and uh, where, where God wanted him to be mm -hmm. and uh, to where he could provide for the people through the famine that was coming for seven years and uh, it's the same way in our lives there's things that come we may think with the work of hand this is it but we need to keep faithful no matter what comes and know all things do go work together for good to them that love the Lord and 
and it's their relationship with him that is so important in with Jesus. He's our only hope that we have for salvation and for grace and strength for the life we're living now. Mm-hmm. So. Amen to that. That's absolutely the truth. I appreciate that. Well, gentlemen, I've really, I've really enjoyed this. I really appreciate y'all coming to the studio. Uh, you're welcome anytime. Uh, this has been awesome. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. We appreciate you. And uh, folks, this has been Appalachian Table Tales. This is the first episode. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with these gentlemen, spectacular uh, men. Uh, we really appreciate them and we want you to tune in to this episode and every episode that you can we really appreciate y'all thank you